is up, doobies and gays, it is your host Kate Tokes, here with you to talk about all things cannabis, LGBTQ, and mental health related. Hello doobies and gays, thank you for tuning into this episode of Doobie Gay, where I speak with founder of Vanguard Media Online, Tiffany Watkins. Vanguard is a media platform and magazine that is dedicated to women in cannabis. She proudly showcases the efforts, innovation, and creativity of all women. And I have the pleasure of speaking with her on this episode about Vanguard Media Online, about the LGBTQ community, about women in cannabis, about minorities in cannabis, and all of her efforts and experience within the industry and changing the world so thank you again for tuning into this episode and i hope you are all having a beautiful wonderful happy pride month i think uh back in the late 80s it was the uh the aids epidemic and um the lgbtq community was being hit very hard that's that's no there's there's no secrets there and um but there was a lot of poor treatment of us then as well um, with with HIV and AIDS rampant, uh, you know, with all the stigma, and there were few treatments, but you know the medicines made them as sick as they were already feeling. So a lot of people turned to cannabis, but then we found that a lot of folks were being treated as criminals when being caught trying to either get medicine or caught utilizing medicine you know, say at a park or, you know, in their car while they were trying to just feel good enough to go to dinner with a, with a relative or something, you know, and they were being treated like criminals. Well, if you're already sick and you're already demonized, and then on top of that, you're going to get, you've never been in trouble, but now you're in deep trouble for a plant. It's just not okay. And so there were folks who were older than me that, you know, basically took me under their wing and, and showed me how to stand up for people when they couldn't stand up for themselves. I already had a penchant of that within me because I really uh, enjoy to do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, at that time I was young and, and trying to find my voice. And so I, I was lucky enough to have some elders in the community who were just like, this is what we're doing. We need medical freedom. We need medical cannabis. And I just jumped right in. I love that. Yeah, that's kind of how I got involved too. And not the same story as far as, um, you know, where you were at then, but just feeling um, a lack of, I was going through, I was struggling with mental illness then and coming out and coming to terms with myself and ADHD and some trauma. And I always turned to cannabis and I never really, really realized it was for like medical. I just started doing it recreationally and I was, I felt good. It didn't feel like it did when I would, you know, drink liquor in college and feel like crap the next day. Um, So that's kind of like what led me into the cannabis space. Besides the LGBTQ community, what did you see as far as what needed to be changed in cannabis? I know there's still so much more that needs to be changed, but did you see anything that's changed over time that back then needed that attention? Well, you know, I think that what I've, the biggest change I've seen is that it is, uh, that the plan is more mainstream. Um, uh, quite a few of the fears um, have been backed down from. Um, but, you know, the other things that were prevalent during that time as I was learning was all the oppression, the, how the war on drugs uh, was still in the strongest effect. It was being emboldened by politicians 
um, and how that affected not only persons of color, but also women and families, because, you know, there's a certain freedom in being able to choose your medical path. Mm -hmm. And so many folks who were attempting and still do to this very day to treat, say, their children who have terminal illnesses and such with cannabinoids were getting in trouble and having to go on the run. That too still happens to this very day. So, you know, I think I say all that to say that we've seen some change and some progress, but there's still a ton of work to be done. So as long as we still see those same harms in effect, we can't truly fix all those harms until we acknowledge and start to eradicate them one by one so that we can have more freedom to utilize this plant and this plant of cannabis and others in our, um, you know, medical regimens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What led you to start up Vanguard Media Online? So, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's a, that's a real interesting one because there is a tie-in. A lot of folks go, how do you go from, you know, act, being an activist and helping uh, people build uh, business models <laughs> through cannabis and other industries to media? Um, and I go, it was really pretty simple. The community asked me for it, basically. And this started as a, as a concept of town hall talks on cannabis and um, you know how you either get back in or what's it mean to you or do you oppose cannabis in your in your uh, neighborhoods or in your communities um, because we were right on the cusp of this regulatory system that we live in right now um, you know almost you know I'm gonna say wow almost now seven years ago we were right there on the cusp and I was just talking with people and um, a lot of women would come out. And they started sharing stories. The more they saw me, the more they got comfortable. They got comfortable with each other and newcomers that would come and share their points of view. And these talks turned into intimate conversations about how cannabis um, really was in their lives, kind of on the hush, on the down low. And then some going, well, I'd love to build business or I have already started my business. You know, I have this, this idea and it's just like, I would hear these stories and go, these are pivotal to this moment. These really are just very much so pivotal to this moment that we're living in. And this is a real true snapshot of what it's like for women in an industry that is coming right out of the gate. We have a burgeoning industry and we have a point of view right here in front of me of women in this space. And it was a few years before I decided I've got to figure out how to showcase these women, not only for their talents and efforts, but for the products and services that they are um, you know, putting together and uh, attempting to sell and share, and also just their stories, how you got there, what's been your hurdles, who's hurt you? Because we know as women in, in any space that we deal with a certain level of pain and trauma. And so who's, who's done this to you? Feel free and as open as you have when we talk personally to tell the world your story. And it just kind of grew from there. By 2019, I began publishing um, these women's stories and telling the good, the bad, and the ugly and putting it all together in a format that was um, ad light. We don't do standard advertising because the showcase needs to be on the women and what they're doing. So if they're, if you're in the magazine and you have a product, then your products are going to be showcased. Right. And it's not going to be an ad. You're going to talk about them. Tell us where, tell us where we can get them. Tell them how, they, tell us how they came to fruition. And uh, we rather leave it at that. 
and we accept no other um, ad spaces just so that we feed right back into the movement for the women. So what I say is, is that Vanguard Media Online, it's a magazine, it's a media platform, but most of all, it's a movement for women in the cannabis space. That is, that is amazing. That is beautiful. And I, I don't think I've ever really heard of a media outlet that allows ad-free expression of stories and brands and businesses. Yeah, we take it one step further. Uh, at the end of every year, we have six issues a year. Our last one of every year is in November, December. And in the November, December, we offer quarter, so, quarter page sized ads for free. We will never, ever sell them just to give back to the women who didn't get a chance to get their stories in. So we let them uh, showcase what service or product and we take as many as we can. We make space for it. So I don't put a cap on it. If I get 100, I get 100. If I get 10, I get 10. But that's our way of, of giving back because people need a way to showcase. And not all businesses um, can afford ad space. So yeah. we try to give that away once a year. In my experience coming into the industry as a female, now identifying as non-binary, but I kind of you know take on both feminine and masculine sides, I definitely struggled, I, I started in public relations in New York City, and I definitely struggled then um, in a different industry with being a, a queer identifying person and back then trying to fit certain molds. And then coming into the cannabis industry, I definitely saw um, more of a open arm space when I came in, but did see a lack of representation with women and with the LGBTQ community. And actually, as I've started this podcast, I've had multiple queer identifying people reach out to me about the cannabis space and trying to find uh, avenues of feeling safe. I've heard about different ways that dispensaries might say, hey, we are a safe space, you know, but they don't actually directly do anything about it. And it's really amazing to hear that you're doing something for women. And as a queer woman yourself, I think that goes to show that it is a safe place. There are ways that women can be showcased in the industry. And right. I, I really thank you for that because that's something that I feel is, is needed in all industries, not just cannabis. Thank you. I, I feel that in my heart because it's, it's, it's really, you're 100% correct. There aren't a lot of safe spaces for us. Um, there's seemingly safe spaces. Uh, where people talk a big show about being inclusive, but when they find out you're gay or whatever your orientation or identification is, when they find out that it's different from theirs, you can always see and feel the change in the room. And I, I'm not quiet about it. There's been too many times where, you know, because they see I like to wear lipstick and, you know, and, and jewelry and things like that, that, that sometimes folks don't, and I don't go in talking about my relationships. So, you know, who does? Heteros don't do so. So why should we, right? So, and then when they find out or my wife shows up and I introduce them to my wife, I see the eyes go into silver dollar mode. And I'd like to see those types of things stop for us as well. And that's on a whole, that's, that's outside of just women. That's for everyone in, in our community. We, we need to, you know, that, that surprise, make that go away from your face, please. Because we do belong in any space. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's right. just as boring as saying, hey, get out of here feeling like you've surprised the entire room because you've introduced a loved one. And that kind of stuff makes the spaces less inclusive. Yeah, exactly. And uh, about a year ago, I cut my hair. 
um, about a year ago, I was wearing dresses. I was going to cannabis events in dresses, long hair, you know, down to my hips. Not that um, anyone in the queer, queer space doesn't um, dress or look like that. But mm -hmm. once I did come into myself and start expressing myself in that way, I did start turning heads in a different way than I used to. And it, um, it definitely was jarring and surprising. But like you said, I think the best thing for women in the space, for those who identify as queer or part of the LGBTQ community is to stand tall and speak up, but it is easier said than done. What advice would you give to someone who falls under that issue when they are faced with it? Um, to meet it head on. And if you are uncomfortable by actions of someone in your space, regardless of what that space is, that you have the right to say something. If everyone's acting surprised by your appearance, you can ask them what's so surprising. Right. Sometimes we have to get a little confrontational and that does not mean that you have to get angry. It just means that you have to speak up and use your voice because when you use it for yourself, you're, you're representing groups and groups of people. It's never just you. We, we all think we operate in a vacuum. Oh, this happens to me. If it's happening to you, it's likely happening to others. So if you are able to use your voice to bring attention to something, then you're doing that for the masses and you owe it to yourself and communities at yeah. large. Right. And, um, you know, in the cannabis space, we have the greatest opportunity to make this change. This is a new burgeoning industry. The rules are not yet set in stone. And so we have room to change things right here at the ground floor for inclusivity. Stop making it a big deal that you have this many gay people working for you, this many black people working for you. We are not numbers. And by all means, because this has happened to me as a black gay woman, I have ticked many boxes. So if they have me present, not so much of a need to keep bringing more people through the door because I tick all your boxes. So we have to stop letting those types of situations happen. And we have to raise our voices loud if we intend to make changes there. And we can, because again, this is a new industry. We can do everything different if we want to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's it's interesting because there's like two sides. So the one that you just mentioned, which is, um, you know, checking off boxes. And then there's another part of it where I actually uh, had a client in the past. We were doing their social media. We had a photo shoot. It was June. It was Pride Month. We did include a flag here and there in the pictures. Most of the individuals who were in the photos did identify in the LGBTQ space, but it wasn't written on our heads, you know, um, right. we might look that way, uh, but that's just an assumption. And we did get approval to have these things on the profile. And uh, we got a response from uh, distributors who were feeding them the money that the page was too gay. Wow. Yeah. And that was one of the first times I think in this five years being in the cannabis space that I really put my foot down. And I was like, you can't say, you can't say that one. Two, that's like a huge, you know, slap in the face to say something like that. And it really like hit hard to, to see that there's two, two sides of it. And we're kind of stuck between them. It's either we're, we're money signs or we're not important or they don't want to showcase who we are. 
And that was one of the first times I really was, you know, I put my foot down and I said, no, this is not someone I want to be working with or involved with. You can be you, but only up to a certain extent. You can be yourself until we get uncomfortable. And it's like, hey, you know what? We've been uncomfortable forever. Forever. So welcome to the club. (laughs) That's just, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. so appropriate. I actually was just watching on Netflix, the Abercrombie uh, and Fitch documentary. I don't know if you, it's, it's brand new, I think on Netflix and it goes over discrimination that was involved within the brand for so long. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think that like, you know, we're here now, of course we've made big strides and a lot has changed, but there's still these mindsets within certain industries when it comes to minorities and it just boggles, it boggles my mind that we haven't gotten past that yet. Yeah, there's a, we, there's a, a huge system of, of racism and everybody talks about systemic racism. And, you know, I, I hate for things to become these, these buzzworthy terms, mm-hmm. but there is a system out there and it doesn't just affect folks that look like me. They, it also affects Caucasian individuals and every nationality here in America, it affects us all. This tradition of oppression, this tradition of racism, sexism, philanism is a problem for us all. So when someone says, oh, this racism, we, you know, just, well, we're always bringing up race. Well, because we have to. And the fact that you're so lackadaisical about it tells me that the system has affected you as well. Right. Yeah. This affects us all. This isn't just a black person issue. This isn't just a Mexican person's issue. This isn't just a Native, Amer- Native American person's issue. This is an issue that affects every race in America, every race across the world. So long as we have these systems in place, the oppressive systems are shaping who we are and we control the button. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary for us to act in these ways, but we continue to act in these ways. It's unnecessary. And we have our finger right on the button. All we need to do is lift it. And it seems like such a simple concept, but people have trouble grasping it. Everybody wants to really push and pull there, but all we have to do is just lift our fingers. It is unnecessary to the human condition to be oppressive, racist, sexist, any of those things. So it's outrageous. It really is. And it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I feel like before I started coming to terms with myself as an individual, I was stuck in that bubble beforehand. I, I, I said racist things in the past. I, I was homophobic in the past. I was homophobic towards myself. And until I was able to step back and really look at things, you know, I wanted to push for change and change myself. And in order to help other people open their minds to things, we really have to just speak up and it might feel uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable, but at least we're, we're speaking. And I just feel that there is such a correlation between um, oppression with gay people, with people of the LGBTQ community, with black and brown people and cannabis. I spoke with Kelly and Courtney and Demi from Cannabis Doing Good, and they made a lot of good points during our anti-racism course about PTSD with black and brown people and cannabis and how cannabis has been used to help trauma and some people unknowingly use it to help their trauma. And I think that really falls into the LGBTQ community as well 
I just had a conversation with Stephen Post from Last Prisoner Project, and he brought up a statistic with LGBTQ community and how usage rates are higher within our community due to trauma and mental illness and trying to help those ailments. And even as you mentioned, HIV and AIDS. And Mm -hmm. I think that cannabis falls on the backs of these two communities and we've really gotten the grunt of it and even women and we really deserve to be at the forefront and to be noticed and to be listened to 100% very much so we we deserve the spotlight and we shall stand within it unapologetically yes 100% <laughs> so you are a part of many different organi- organizations and memberships can you touch upon a few of them Sure. Um, You know, I I really enjoy being involved at many different levels. Um, Medical cannabis will always lie very close to my heart. Um, And also will the legislative side, the change that can be crafted. So I try to be diverse when I join organizations. I am a member of the National Cannabis Industry Association, and I actually do sit on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee there, and I chair the um, subcommittee that is called Content. So what we put out and we kind of support kind of some of the voice of what is in blogs and some of social media at times. We get to lend there and just really craft a voice of change when it comes to Black and Brown operators in the space and women and being diverse. So I really enjoy uh, the work that I'm able to be a part of there. We work on several initiatives that will uh, help the entire industry across the board, and we lend a voice of DEI to it. So I'm I'm really happy to be able to do that. On the medical side, I am secretary of the board for Affinity Patient Advocacy. Now, that is a, a group by Affinity Biopartners that is uh, led and headed by Christina D'Arcangelo. And she is a pharmaceutical specialist and a nutraceutical specialist, uh, incredibly, incredibly talented and bright. And she has um, put together this organization that helps persons who need medical advocacy find the help they need. So these terminally ill sometimes, Um, folks who need not only just medicinal help, they need support services getting there, sometimes money, all sorts of support that they that they need, she is able to help provide. And and as her board members, we work on fundraising and things like that, and any initiative that's necessary to make sure that these patients have um, and most, and I should say, first and foremost, she is uh, pro-cannabis and does tons of um, cannabinoid research and studies at the, sci- at the scientific level. She is very involved there. So she's, she's, she's absolutely brilliant, but um, she makes sure that these patients have access to the medicine that they need, be, be it cannabinoid, be it nutraceuticals, be it pharmaceuticals. She makes sure that they get what they need first. And so I'm very happy to support her project um, and sit on that board and try to craft as much change there for mental health awareness, for women's health awareness, for cancer awareness, and just overall making sure that people understand medical freedom and choice. So that's that's great. 
Um, I also teach for Oaksterdam University. It's an educational, uh, of course, an, uh, the educational component of cannabis. So I really love teaching there. I teach marketing, branding. I teach, I've, I've taught patient and consumer safety and um, yeah, and advocacy. And I, I try to carry as, as much as I can there because it's really important to me and to educate the up and coming um, folks who will be in business, our future operators, so that they can start off with the idea that the cannabis industry is means that you're an activist. It means that you're advocating for the plant and the people and that they, they understand how to craft the necessary things for their business. Now, there's a slew of other uh, instructors um, that are doing are teaching other portions, cultivation. It's, it's an overall program for the entire industry, supporting the entire supply chain. Um, and so I urge people to get involved there, but I, I absolutely enjoy my time with these organizations that I have listed because each part of it sits really close to my heart. The last thing I urge people to do is to join organizations that sit next to your passion so that you can always be working within it. And that really helps move things forward. Wow. That is, that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think all the, uh, the youth that's coming into the industry, especially it being a, a brand new industry, it's really important to educate them so that they can educate those who come to them as well. And all of the conversations that I've had revolve around education, no matter what the topic is, especially in cannabis, because, you know, myself throughout the years, I've overindulged, I've used it in the wrong way. I haven't understand, you know, the war on drugs and black and, and brown people in prison for nonviolent cannabis offenses. I, I never was able to wrap my head around that, especially five years ago when I jumped into the industry. So it's, it's beautiful to see how the industry has grown and embraced people like yourself to help educate and to help move this mission forward. So I really appreciate everything that you do. Thanks. Yeah. And I have a lot of fun. You now people yeah. say, well, you stay really busy. I do, but I have a lot of fun doing this. Get to meet awesome folks like yourself and um, just be a part of, of change. I think, you know, when you have an opportunity to do that, you got to jump in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this industry uh, at the end of the day is an amazing, really, really amazing industry. And all the people I've met have been nothing but beautiful. So I really appreciate you being on this podcast today and connecting with me. And I hope to have a partnership as we move forward and, and help make change. Of course. Thank you very much for having me on. 